0: That was a joy, watching that video. Of course, as I've said before, I've seen these videos five, six, seven times, trying to choose the appropriate one. Sometimes you go with a sermon or something that's funny or hilarious so that we can enjoy ourselves. But uh, sitting watching that with Mason, Mason said, Jesus is really good to us. He's prepared a good place for us. I tell you, it just makes me smile. makes me want to get up here and talk about heaven. And of course, that's what I'm going to do. But let me say this, because i just got to apologize. You can't talk about heaven in one sermon unless you're going to spend uh, three, four, five hours. And so, in your worship handout, it explains that this is a five-sermon series. And last week I talked about what is it like to die. And of course, heaven is a real place. And today I'm going to talk about uh, heaven is made for us. And that video indicates that. Jesus has made it for us, and we're going to look at some Scripture. And then next week, who will be in heaven, and what will we do? And uh, I think you'll find that interesting. Uh, there's a lot of people who've got ideas of what we'll do. We're just going to look at the Scripture and see what it says about heaven, and what we will do, and who's going to be there. And then on August the 3rd and August 10th, I'm going to answer some questions. Uh, Questions that over 40 years I've been asked about heaven. I would say if you have a question about heaven, I don't have a place near for you to fill anything out, but you could write it on the front and uh, if you would, put your name on it and then just drop it in the box. Do it this week or next week. That way I'll be able to have it and prepare and maybe be able to answer your question if I, it's not already one that I've been asked. But I would give you that opportunity to ask any question about heaven you want to ask. But you just got to communicate that to me or write it on the paper, get it to me, or email it to me, text it to me, however you might do that, okay? Um, OBE. OBE. What in the world is OBE? OBE stands for out-of-body experience. Many of us have heard about out-of-body experiences. Life after this life, people who say they've died and they've seen heaven. OBE. Now, People who study the body medically tells us that some people tend to have OBE experiences because the brain, excuse me, the brain takes three or four minutes to die, to stop functioning after the heart stops functioning because it just apparently loses all its blood and it just stops functioning and what happens is people who have died, their heart has stopped they have shared that they have experienced just some, some, uh, some mystifying and remarkable sounds, visions, sights, and that is an out-of-body experience. Uh, in a book called Life After Life, a medical doctor and a psychologist researched out of body experiences a couple decades ago when when people started really talking about them openly because you see people would have them but they wouldn't talk about it, but people started talking about it and Dr. Raymond Moody Jr. is his name and his book was called Life After Life and he studied the characteristics or the events that people said happened in their out-of-body experiences. What I want to do is I want to read to you a brief part of his book, okay? And he talks about that out-of-body experience. So you listen. Despite the wide variations in the circumstances surrounding close calls with death, and in the types of persons undergoing them, it remains true that there is a striking similarity among the accounts of the experiences themselves. In fact, the similarities among various reports are so great that one can easily pick out about fifteen separate elements which reoccur which recur again and again in the mass of narratives that I have collected. On the basis of these points of likeness, let me now reconstruct a brief theoretically ideal or complete experience which embodies all of the common elements in the order in which it is typical for them to occur. He writes, "...a man is dying, and as he reaches the point of greatest physical distress, he hears himself pronounced dead by his doctor." He begins to hear an uncomfortable noise, a loud ringing or buzzing and at the same time feels himself moving very rapidly through a long dark tunnel and after this he suddenly finds himself outside his own physical body but still in the immediate physical environment. And he sees his own body from a distance as though he is a spectator. He watches the resuscitation attempt from this unusual vantage point and is in a state of emotional upheaval. After a while he collects himself and becomes more accustomed to his odd condition. He notices he still has a body but one of a very different nature and with very different powers from the physical body he left behind. Soon other things begin to happen. Others come to meet him. And to help him, he glimpses the spirits of relatives and friends who have already died, and a loving, warm spirit of a kind he has never encountered before. A being of light appears before him. This being asks him a question, non-verbally, to make him evaluate his life and help him along by showing him a panoramic, instantaneous playback of the major events of his life. And at some point, he finds himself approaching some sort of barrier or border, apparently representing the limit between earthly life and the next life. And yet he finds that he must go back to the earth, that the time for his death has not yet come. At this point he resists, for by now he has taken up with his experiences in the afterlife and does not want to return. He is overwhelmed by by intense feelings of joy, love, and peace. Despite his attitude, though, he somehow reunites with his physical body and he lives. Later, he tries to tell others. But he has trouble doing so. In the first place, he can find no human words adequate to describe these unearthly episodes. He also finds that others scoff, so he stops telling other people. Still, the experience affects his life profoundly, especially his views about death and its relationship to life. As I said, that was written a couple decades ago when he did this research. And so he's written what he discovered Today, people tend to talk about it because more people have talked about it. And some of you could tell stories of loved ones or friends or people who've told you they've had an out-of-body experience. A life-after-life experience or a life-after-death experience. Now, I'm not able to speak about out-of-death experiences. I'm often asked about them. I've never had one. Okay? Okay. Maybe the closest thing of anybody that is in my family was my grandmother and her vision of seeing some family members coming to meet her, but being resuscitated. And her statement to my mother was, don't force me to live. And she talked about seeing Jesus, as she put it, and some family members, and she was ready to die. That's the closest thing I got. So I can't speak from experience. But when people ask me, I just say this, whether it's of God or not, and I don't know why it would be of the devil, whether it's of God or not, it makes us aware that there's life after this life. And if that's true, then it is important that I understand about that life after this life. And so, I look to the Bible, I don't have time to do last week's sermon, I look to the Bible, and I meet a character named Jesus, and if you remember, though there's a few people in here who weren't here last week, I told you the problem with people trusting the Bible and Jesus' words, you see, because He's creating heaven for us, He's the Creator, the Bible says not anything was created that Jesus didn't create, Jesus is God, Part of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And people say, but I have trouble believing the Bible. It's a myth. And so I don't know whether I can take the words of Jesus because anybody could write anything and you don't know the character of Jesus. And see, so you have trouble believing me if you don't know my character and you have trouble believing Jesus because you don't know His character. And He tells us heaven's a real place or He wouldn't even bring it up. And so you've got to look and meet the character of Jesus. And you question whether Jesus exists maybe. I told you last week, whenever I went to university, that used to be a question. Today, people basically, except on the internet, educated people don't question whether Jesus exists. There's too much, too much information concerning His existence as there is other characters of antiquity. And so, what I do, if out-of-body experiences are of God, if God's trying to make us aware of life after this life, then I need to find out about it. So I read the Bible, and the Bible tells me, God's Word tells me, that for those who repent of their sins, for those who by faith look to the death of Jesus on the cross, okay, and see, to us humans, that's crazy. How does a man 2,000 years ago, how does God 2,000 years ago become a man and die on the cross for my sins? And yet, Jesus says that's how it happens. And if we decide to, as we repent of our sins, claim His death on the cross for our sins, our sins are done away with. If we choose to follow Him as Lord, then the Bible says heaven is a place being prepared for us. And so to speak about heaven, you gotta speak from the scriptures. I mean, come on, you gotta speak from something. And not all we say all world religions are the same, and there's not that many world religions, folks. Five, six. You know, somebody wants you to believe there's there's hundreds of them. That just tells you. I love it when people open their mouths and show that they haven't done any investigations. See? But they don't believe in the same kind of God. They don't believe in the same kind of afterlife. Some world religions don't even believe in afterlife. They just believe you become like a drop of water that drops in the ocean. After you die, that's it. You're just part of of the creation. You You don't exist anymore. And so, I'm not telling you you can't believe that. I'm just saying, somewhere you get your belief about life and death, and if there is a next life, from some information. And if there is an afterlife, then it's worthy for us to investigate it. Because just to be like an ostrich, stick your head in a hole and say, I don't know, is to take a great chance. There was a genius named Pascal. Some of you heard me talk about this before. Pascal was just a genius in mathematics. Lived a couple centuries ago. Pascal so influenced mathematics that the first computers that were developed used his understanding of of ones and zeros, dots and dashes we may call them, ones and zeros, and develop a computer language. And I can remember I used to clean one of the major office facilities of one of the major companies, Staley's in Decatur. And I can remember going to their computer room, which would be as large as this, and be sealed, keep the dust out, and that was their computer. And I just want you to understand, That guy Pascal, in his genius, made it possible for people in the 20th century to develop a computer that now, oh, I put mine in my bag, I can pull out my iPhone, and that computer that I use is a result of that genius. Somebody said, why are you telling us about him? Because he came up with Pascal's challenge. And here's what that genius said. An intelligent man that your life and my life Is going to be affected by until we cease to live. Because computers just keep developing. And he's the one that gave the foundation. That genius said this. He put it out to the people of his day, other people he talked to. And who do you think geniuses probably tend to hang out with? Other people have got some brains. If I was a genius, I'd hang out with genius. I'm not a genius. Guess who I hang out with? <laughs> Good. Some of you are listening. Of course, you hang out with me. That implies you're not a genius. But uh, he said, okay, I believe, or you believe, there is no afterlife, and I believe there is an afterlife. He said, but think about that. You believe there is no afterlife. I believe there is an afterlife. If there is an afterlife, and I believe in it, I've gained heaven. If there is no afterlife, and I believe in it, I've really wasted nothing. I've lost nothing. But you do not believe in the afterlife. If there is not an afterlife, you've not lost any. But if there is, his challenge, think about it. You've lost eternity. This is a genius. See, because people people want us to believe that Christians shut off their brains. You've heard me say, don't ever go to a church that tells you shut off your brain. God gave us His brain to use. And so we look to the Scriptures and that's what we're doing in these five sermons. And so, if you just come to one or two, you're going to miss something in one of the others or even when we get to the questions because I'll base most of my answers on what the Scripture says. There's a couple of them that I just give an opinion from observation out of the Scriptures. So I'd like you to open your Bible, if you have your Bible, to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation the twenty first chapter. And I tell you, it, it's it's difficult. You, you, I, I mentioned last week that somebody came up to me just a couple weeks before I started this sermon series and, and said, you know, I don't understand the book of Ezekiel. I, I wish you'd preach a series of sermons on Ezekiel. And so I started reading Ezekiel and, and, and it's amazing, it's amazing how Ezekiel points out Jesus Christ. And it's amazing how Ezekiel says some of the things that the book of Revelation says. And, uh, and I'm really thinking about doing a series of sermons. Okay, maybe three or four on Ezekiel. Because there's people out there to tell you they were aliens and things like that. And uh, so I just want you to put your brain on. Maybe we'll do that to answer some questions. But before we get into Revelation 21st chapter, let me lead us in prayer. Ask God to help us. Would you bow with me? Father, I just ask you for Your presence. Father, by Your Spirit, I ask You to help us to see heaven as it is. Not as we want it. And not as maybe how somebody has told us about it. But help us to see it as it is according to Your words. Do that today. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So Revelation, 21st chapter, look at the first verse. It starts out, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. If you have your Bible, I'd recommend you underline those ten words. When you read read this recognition of heaven, I want you to understand it's about a new heaven and a new earth. That's what it's about. Okay? Okay a new heaven, and a new earth. If you have your worship hand out, look at the first blank and fill it in. Heaven is a renewed creation. Okay? A renewed creation. Now, real quick, let's go back one screen. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared, and the sea was also gone. I'm not trying to shortchange you by not talking about the sea and the old heaven and the old earth. I want you to understand something new will take place when heaven exists, when it comes into our experience. Okay. Now let's go back to that worship handout statement. Heaven is a renewed creation. If you have your worship handout, it's not on the screen, so leave that screen up. I have the word, the Greek word kainos, right there. You see, that word new in verse 1, and everywhere it talks about new, about heaven, it's the word kinos. And it means a freshness in quality that is different in nature from what is contrasted as old. This is old, that's going to be new. Now to you, that's just giving you a dictionary explanation, Greek understanding of the English word new. But what we have to understand is that heaven isn't going to be like this. And so I have a problem sometimes because this is all I'm used to. I I, I used to make a statement that you can't explain blue to somebody who's never seen blue. Think about that. You can't. You can't explain blue. Well, it, it sort of looks like gray and purple mixed maybe. I don't know. Or yellow and green mixed. See? It's hard to explain something... That people don't have any kind of comparison. And so, heaven's going to be new. And you've got to be careful because we like to tie it in to this experience. Matter of fact, when we say we're going to be in heaven and we're going to worship God, what do we think about? A church service. That's all we think about. Now, now I learned long ago, taking care of my yard is a worship of God. I learned long ago to teach my children not throw paper on the ground but put it in their pocket until they find a trash can, is worship of God. Because this is God's property. It's not mine. It's not yours. See? I learned a long time ago that what I do when I play ball, when, when, when I'm intimate with my wife, when I spend time with my kids, that's the worship of God. And so we, we, we want to tie our thoughts of heaven in relationship to what we're used here. But that word kainos means it's, it's going to be different than what we know now. It's going to be different. It's going to be new. And, and, and it's important to understand that, that, under, that word new, that kinos. Because you see, God had His writers, Paul... Try to explain that that newness is taking place in us so we can get an understanding of what heaven's going to be like if we understand the newness that is taking place in us here on earth. Look on the screen. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul wrote this. This means, because he talked about becoming a new, crea- a new creature, new creation in Christ. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Okay? Now, now you've got to understand that, see? Become a kinos person. A kinos person. You catch me, Mason, if I fall. A kinos person. Okay, I'll stand here and both of you can catch me. Okay? This is where we struggle. I'm going to tell you, this is where we struggle in this world. You see, Matt talked about the turtle on his back and God turned him over. Okay? When Jesus becomes Lord, He doesn't remodel us. And see, that's how we think of the Christian life. He makes us new. That's what the Scripture the New Testament teaches. I am a kynos person. And so here's my struggle. In my old life, I had gods other than Jehovah God. I had idols other than God being the one true God. And so what I do, I become a Christian But my struggles in the Christian life is with those old idols, those old gods. And they're always trying to call me back because they know I'm used to hanging out with them. Now this is why Christians struggle. Because you see, we say, I really don't want to be with them. And so if we're not careful, Satan knows, he gets us to just give up. I can't be that kind of Christian. No, you can't. I can't either. Because you see, it's not my remodeling. It's His new creation. And I know it's new. I know. I know He's changed me. I know there's desires in me that are of God. Because He's made me the new person. And my struggles come because the old experience wants to be my God. And those idols want to control me. And if I pay attention to them, they'll get their claws in me again. And I've got to recognize that. But God doesn't remodel us. He's not going to remodel this earth and the heaven that's here. He's going to make it new. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And when we talk about heaven, that's what it's going to be like. What we know on earth is gone. When I answer questions, if you don't understand that, you're just not going to understand some of my answers on questions. The old life is gone. The life I know on earth is gone. It's a new life. It's a life God intended for me. There'll be no struggles in heaven because there's no sin in heaven. Look look what Paul said in Ephesians. Look on the screen. But that isn't what you learned about Christ, he says. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of living. Look, you've got to do that. You know, why does God allow these temptations in my life? Throw them off! Find an accountability partner. Call that person when those old idols want to get a hold of you. No, I'm too full of pride. Again, read the book of Ezekiel. The judgment on God's people was that they were full of pride. In the New Living Translation, it says they were full of pride. And they kept returning to their idols. God was making them in His people, but they kept returning to their idols. See, you've got to throw off. You've not learned in Christ that you're remodeled. You've learned that you're a new creature Old oh, things have passed away. All things become new. So he says, since you've heard about Jesus, verse 21, and have learned the truth that comes from Him. Let's go on. 23, 22. Throw off your old sinful nature and your formal way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. See, I still lust those idols. Lust for them. Some of you can't understand. Look, now listen to me, everybody. It's got you because you lust after the idol. Not God, the idol. I lust after my anger, not my relationship with Laura that God is making. And we're deceived. But you see, my lust for my, my old idol... I'm used to hanging out with them. That makes me feel comfortable. That's deception because you know it doesn't. It just pulls you down. And you get mad at God sometimes. And people in the world say, I want nothing to do with God because God makes me feel guilty. No. You see, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, He's made you new. And it's the new life that wants to come out that struggles with you choosing that old idol or old idols, whatever they are. And it's the new life. That wants to take over. It's a new life. That's the best for you. And 23, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And that's what it is. It's a Spirit. That's why maybe you've, you, you've not been at church for a number of weeks and you come and boom! The Spirit of God is speaking to you in that one service. You see, because God makes. He doesn't remodel. He makes things new. He makes things new. And He's making you and I new. And we got a glimpse of that in this life. And some days, I I, I say, Heaven, Heaven's going to be better than, than your... You know, you've had some days where they've just been super and you really didn't even want to go to bed. You didn't want the experience to stop. Heaven's going to be a thousand times better than that day. You see, because... Your body gets tired and so you've got to go to sleep. So you've got to end the day. And people got to go eat so they stop the event. Or somebody's got to go to work and so you can't hang out any longer. You see, this life interrupts it. In the new life. There's no interruption of the relationship with God. And when we get to heaven, it's not this... Life remodeled. It's going to be a lot better. My dad won't be the way he was. My, my, I won't be the way I was. My sister won't be the way she was. You won't be the way you were. It's going to be a lot better life. No, it's not going to be remodeled, this life. It's going to be a new life. Gosh, I've got so many people praying for me. From north of the American border to the, the southern hemisphere. On the globe. And I've got so many cards and letters. And just this week, I got a card from a person I probably maybe haven't seen 10, 11 years. A man that I met, and he just wasn't the kind of sociable person that fit in with people. Just bashful, shy. And yet when you got to know him, he talked with you. And in his card... He says, I'm looking forward to eternity with brothers like you. You see, he experienced some of the newness that God had done in me. That he's looking forward to the eternity of all that newness. All that newness. Heaven is a new creation. And you sort of got a taste of it because you know some of those new experiences that God has brought into your life. New possibilities. And one day, that's going to be it. If I can say, based on what we say here, 24-7. It's going to be all the time. Look at the next blank on your worship handout. Heaven will be a place where the moral and physical imperfections will be purged completely. Can you imagine that? Because it's going to be a new place. No more lust. No more jealousy. No more anger. No more greed. How come you got the job and I didn't? How come you get to live in the house you get to live in and I got to live in the house I got to live in? How come you get to drive the car you get to drive and I got to drive the car I got to drive? Of course, you know what you do whenever... Somebody asks you that, you say, "Well, you don't handle your money well." Say, "Well, now that's pride," and I'm not saying handling money doesn't help have possessions. But you see, there's not going to be any of that in heaven. No more, no more moral and physical imperfections. You, you, you know what they, they're telling us now? We got the mosquitoes coming up with, with biting people, and for months you can have joint pain from from their bites. And there's thousands now. It's happening below our border. But it's starting to come into our border. See, no more. Physical imperfection. No more. Heaven is new. It's new. It's a place that's hard for you and I to understand. Look back in your Bible at at Revelation 21. Look at verse 4. I'll come back to verse 2. I just read verse 1. But look at verse 4. It says, He... Jesus will wipe away every tear from from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these are gone forever. You see, because it's Kainos. It's a new creation. There's no sorrow in this creation. There's no pain in this creation. Verse 5, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. See, everything new. Now if you if you're young you're sort of invincible. And that's not a bad thing cuz you 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 achieve things maybe that people my age won't try to achieve anymore and so then there's better achievements maybe. But sometimes that pain's going to come. And some of you are young and you got that pain. There's no more of that pain. And some of you are carrying a sorrow. You're carrying a sorrow of, of someone you love that died. And and, and it's deep grief and you still carry it. Or or somebody you loved left you, betrayed you, was disloyal. And you carry that grief. And for the rest of your life on this earth, when when that name is mentioned, you're you're going to feel that grief. You want to move on, but you'll feel that grief. But in heaven, there's no more grief. It's new, see? See? Verse 5, and the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. God is telling us what He has made for His special creation. This this is why Paul... See, there's so much I could have brought out, but it would have took too much time to get in all the Scripture. But Paul says, you know, it's better for me if I would die. Because Paul understood this newness. But he says, I'm staying here because it's better for you. And anybody who studies heaven knows it's a better thing. And yet, we don't commit suicide. You know, people of the world say, why don't you just kill yourself then? Because God brought me eternal life so that I have security for eternity. But because now I know this newness and I am to share it with other people. And so it's better for us to stay here. But listen, we've all probably known, or most of us have known older folks that have got very sick with serious diseases. And they said like my grandmother did, don't keep me alive, I'm ready to die. Because she's ready to go on home. She's ready to be with Jesus. She's ready to experience heaven. And we call it heaven because that's the name that Jesus has given to it. And it's not going to be anything like this. It's going to be new. And it's difficult Excuse me for us to imagine it because we're tied into this old. And we try to contrast that with the old. And it's not going to be the old. It's going to be new. It's going to be a different place. A different experience. Now look at verse 2 in Revelation 21. And I'd recommend you underline the first 16 words because again, it talks about and I saw the holy city and listen to this, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Okay? So here is new Jerusalem. I know everybody's looking for God in that old Jerusalem. Okay, I don't have time to get into that. Okay? You, you You want to talk about that? Well, you can still invite me out for a hamburger and fries now. And you pay and we talk. Okay? Because I'll just share some things that Paul said. You know it, but it's more that prophetic stuff on TV just has inundated our minds. And so we have trouble moving it because we we contrast what we know here with what's going to happen. He says, listen, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. And he says, it's like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God is ho- God's home is now among His people, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them. And these words are given to us, the special creation of God, mankind. There's only one race, it's the human race. If you're prejudiced, you say, no, there's many races. There's only one race, the human race. That's what God created. If you're prejudiced, you say, no, there are many races. There's only one race, the human race. God created it. And God is taking that special creation, and God is trying to help them understand that He has prepared for them. And how does He explain it? Because we can only identify here. It's like a new city. Can you imagine somebody leaves trillions of dollars to the city of Mount Vernon and we level everything and build a new city new homes everything new we'd all be excited wouldn't we no we'd cry we want to keep the old things see cuz we're attached to the old but can you imagine new city no imperfections no plumbing troubles if we need plenty. See? A new city prepared for... See, God is trying to get us to understand that. Heaven is a new city. It's a new dwelling place for us. And, and God is going to live there with us. And it's for us. Somebody says, why does He call it a city like Jerusalem. Well, because in most countries... Now, America is somewhat different. In most countries, the country is identified by a city. If somebody said, oh, you're going to England, they'd say, are you going to stop where? Yeah, London. Oh, you're going to France? Will you go to... Oh, you're going to Rome? Will you go to... I mean, you're going to Italy? I'm sorry. You go to Rome? Now, in America, we might say Washington, D.C., but somebody else says, no, New York, L.A., you see, often a country is identified by a city and, and, and God's people have always got their identity from Jerusalem. But this isn't the old Jerusalem. This is the new Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was the title given to the place where God dwelled. People people would make that journey to Jerusalem because it was believed it was there at the temple is where God's presence would be experienced. And even today, some Christians want to go to Jerusalem because they feel like that's where God's presence is going to be experienced. But God has moved beyond that for this on earth. But to help us understand, He says it's a city, a place where people are going to be gathered. Look at the next blank on your worship handout. God's people will gather together in heaven. That's what He wants to get across to us. We're going to be there. So we will. Abraham. Grandma. David. King David. He's not going to be King David. My dad. Next week I'll talk a little about that. In one of the questions I'll talk about that. Because again, I'm going to tell you, there's people who ask, what if a loved one of mine doesn't go to heaven? How can I be happy? But heaven's a gathering place of God's people. The Bible tells us, you know, I mentioned Abraham. The Bible tells us Abraham looked forward to heaven. And he, he's the patriarch, basically, of the Old Testament. Abraham is before Moses. Abraham lived before Moses. There's no law. And for you people who who don't like to tithe, listen, you say, that's Old Testament law. I know it's Old Testament law. But Abraham talked about the tithe before the law was even written. Returning to God 10%. This is what God places in it. Somebody says, you're getting money in this. No, it's not about getting your money to connection. And so I say again, if you think it's about getting your money to connection, I'm telling you, you're arguing with it because you're selfish with God and you don't want to give Him your money. Not 10% or more. And so how can I prove that? Because people say, pastors just try and get a lot of money for the church. You take your tithe. You take your 10%. You give it to another church. You keep coming to connection. But you give it to another church and don't stop. And see whether your greed wins out and you say, this is silly. Because I don't go with the law. The law wasn't even around. See, Abraham predates the law. Now, why do I want you to understand he predates the law? Because you see, Abraham came out of foreign religion. And God called him. And it's the beginning of what God is going to do that's going to lead to Christ. Abraham's our example of offering up his son as a sacrifice. God our Father offered up His Son as a sacrifice. Look on the screen. Look what Hebrews tells us. New Testament tells us about Abraham. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. See, He's looking forward to heaven. How can we put that together? Because we read the book of Revelation and Jesus revealing to John what John is to write about heaven. Because a city is where you look forward to joining together. I know, we're sort of rural, but if you grew up in a rural area and your city was just one block and three stores... And you've been gone a long time, you come home and see mom and dad, you probably drive by those three stores and say, Oh, shucks, one of them's gone. There's only two left. Because you reminisce about the city. City is 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 where we gather. And Abram, Abraham was looking forward to that. Look what the 16th verse says in Hebrews eleven. But they were looking. Now he's talking about the ancient ones. Not just Abraham. He's saying, but they were looking for a better place. A heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For He has prepared a city for them. See, So you say, why do you call it a city? Because God did that before the law. And God does that through His Son. It means we're going to gather together. That's why my friend wrote, I look forward to eternity with brothers like you. Because it's going to be a place of gathering. And you know what? Think of the best Christian people you ever met. You're going to be with them for all eternity. And think of some of the worst Christian people you ever met. You're going to be with them all eternity. And you know what's going to be great about it? This world doesn't have any pull. The best you, you met, the Bible says, they're only good because God made them new and they're letting that new come forth. And the worst Christians you ever met, because some Christians aren't very nice, that, that stuff that made them bad is not going to be in heaven. And their newness is going to come forth. It's going to be a great experience. A great experience. And we have trouble understanding that. We have trouble understanding that. But God is telling us it's a new place prepared for us like a city. The ancient ones looked to heaven. They looked forward to gathering together. And heaven is being made by Jesus. We talked about that last week. He's making it with His hands. Made us with His hands, God did. Heaven is being made by Jesus. Prepared for us. We who follow Him. Look at the next blank on your... Worship handout. Can you imagine our Lord has personally made heaven for us? Think about that. Think about that. You have unlimited resources. Unlimited resources. And you're going to get married. What would you do with those resources? You'd talk to the person you're going to marry, whether you're the female or the male, about being able to provide the best living place possible with the resources we have. And i got unlimited resources. And you'd have a child, and you'd make the best place possible. Unlimited resources. Laura and I remodeled our kitchen a few months ago. We had set it up so after my uh, gallbladder was taken out, I'd have a month to recover, and then I'd be able to do some work in there. Well, that didn't work out quite as well. Probably wouldn't remodel. But, but I remember when we went into the, uh, the store and we bought a new sink and we bought a new faucet and Laura looked at the faucets and she looked at one she liked and then I said, what about this one over here? And she said, but that's $100 more. And I said, hey, if you want it, let's buy it. So she didn't hesitate a minute. Let's get this one got to be careful where you say that sometimes. <laughs> What's the difference between this one and this one? This one you just touch anywhere on the faucet and it goes off and on. That is outstanding. I go visit my kids, it drives me crazy. I trying to touch their faucets. <laughs> they don't come on. And they come and visit me and it drives me crazy because I touch my faucet and it don't come on because they shut it off with a switch. You see, it's, it's new. I mean, I really think sometimes. Sometimes. When Laura would get up in the middle of the night, she was in there those first few days just I don't know, but I wonder. Something new, totally different from what we've experienced. Can you imagine? Our Lord, unlimited resources, creator of all. Jesus is creating for you and I a new place. A new place. A place of color. You, know, you, you see, I could talk about Revelation 21 and 22, and I will talk about something in Acts 21 in just a minute, but I could talk about that. And I could talk about the, the river like crystal going down the middle of the streets, but, but I don't think that's that important right now. I, I could talk about the trees. On the, the side of the river that bear fruit once a month. Hey, read Ezekiel. Ezekiel used the very same description. I appreciate that person who came up because I wouldn't even have thought about reading Ezekiel. And yet, just perfect book to read with this. I, I could talk about the gates. Revelation talks about there's 12 gates. Ezekiel talks about four walls, three gates on each wall. But the gates are made of pearl. And it talks about the walls are made of jewelry. Precious stones and gold. See, I could talk about all that. But that's crazy. How many of you... Well, maybe three of you do. Sit up and count your gold coins. See? But the idea is God uses terminology to help us understand this is a place of color. This is a place of beauty. And hey, for some of you, it's, it's going to... It's a place of music. And it's all new. In chapter 21, Revelation 21, I don't have time to look at the Scripture itself. No, no don't, don't show that yet. Just go back. Just leave it there. Thank you. In, in chapter 21, what I do want to call attention to, the Bible says there's no sun or no moon in verse 23. Now stop and think. what's night like when there's no moon? Pretty dark, isn't it? And, And the day when there's no sun? Pretty gray and gloomy. And so we think no sun, no moon, oh my goodness. But if you read the Scriptures, heaven's illuminated by the presence of God and His Son Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, my marriage is much better when I let God illuminate the newness in me. And I'll be quite honest with you, it's a lot better when God illuminates the newness in Laura. Okay? Well, I should have changed that. That's what it's going to be like. Can't even imagine. I'm used to sun and moon. And I struggle sometimes because those old idols want to take over. And my newness that I have been creating is trying to, to, to shine forth. And, and, and so it's, it's a struggle. So, what I got to do? I got to cast off those old things. I got to hang out with some of you that keep reminding me, get rid of that stuff. Because left to myself or left to people that, that worship those idols, I get caught up with them again. But heaven's going to be new, illuminated by the presence of God and Son Jesus Christ. And, and in verse 22 says, There's no temple in heaven. And see, that speaks. That speaks to the people of the New Testament time because the temple was where you went. So you can feel the presence of God. But you see, verse 22 says, heaven is filled with the presence of God. All of it. I mean, if there's outhouses, presence of God. See? And the presence of Jesus Christ. It's a new place. Just unbelievable. Now, now I'm going to go back to what I talked about last week. So think about this. Heaven is a new creation. It's different from what we're used to. And so, so I ask you, it, it, some people say, I just think heaven is a state of mind, people get into. Is, is all this newness a state of mind? No. Somebody says, I just think heaven is an idea that certain that people have. Is all this newness an idea? No. Somebody says, I, I think heaven is, is, is a dream. Is Jesus just talking about a dream? No. This newness is real. Somebody says, I think it's make-believe. Is Jesus talking about make-believe? No. Somebody says, I just think it's people wishful thinking because they don't want to think they're just going to die and that's the end. Is Jesus just giving us a bunch of wishful thinking? No. And Paul tried to communicate. We sort of understand the newness because we see it trying to come forth in us when we become followers of Jesus. This is a place prepared for us. Now look at that next blank on the message map. God reveals to us the reality of our heavenly home. He wants us to know what He has in store for us. He wants us to know it's kynos. It's a new experience. It's nothing like here. Nothing like here. So much beyond what we have here. And that's hard for, for this mind... To understand. It's even hard for, for me to imagine with my eyes what it's going to look like. And, and people who, 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 who sometimes talk about all those jewels and the gold and everything, they'll paint a picture, and they'll draw that. And you'll say, oh, that's beautiful. And they can't even touch what it's going to be like. See, this mind, these eyes, it's hard to comprehend. This new place God is preparing for me. Look on the screen. Look what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He says, that is what the Scriptures mean when, it, when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. See? We, we can't even imagine. We're created. All I know is, is skin. All I know is, is this stuff. All I know is the pain and the hurt that comes in this world. I've lived long enough to know that. And heaven's not going to be anything like this. Because it's new. New, much different in contrast to this that is old. Look at verse 10. But it was to us that God revealed these things. Now listen, this is important. By His Spirit... For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. The only way I can really comprehend heaven is by the Holy Spirit teaching me as I look into God's Word. And He says, you know this newness, Mike. You've had those days of newness. You've had those moments of newness. You know when the old guy wasn't in charge. You know how good that was. You know how refreshing that was. See, the Spirit says, I want you to understand, heaven! Heaven! It's like that all the time. For eternity. On and on and on and on. And I can't even comprehend on and on and on and on. You see, God's Spirit is how we learn that. That's why the Bible says this. Listen, you can't be a child of God. You can't be a follower of Jesus if you don't have the Holy Spirit. When Christ becomes Lord, you get the Holy Spirit. Let somebody else try to tell you you've got to add something else. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps us understand all this newness that God is seeking to create in our life here, but one day there. You see, heaven becomes real to us who know Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit makes it real to us. Heaven becomes our hope because the Holy Spirit tells us it is your hope. It is my hope. We who follow Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, If you look at it real close, heaven becomes the longing of our hearts. Because the Holy Spirit says nothing even compares to what Jesus is preparing for you. You see, folks, that's home. That's our home. Not here, but there. And the only thing that separates us from there is death. That's the only thing. And one day, unless Christ comes back, you die one day all of us will die and then heaven we will be with our Lord if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life and so is he Lord of your life in chapter 22 of Revelation verse 25 it says the gates are never closed in heaven the ideal is God has it open for all for all. Next week I'll talk about that all. He has it open for you. And so I challenge you, become a follower of Jesus. Be careful of struggling in your mind with that. By faith, follow Him. Let the Spirit begin teaching you. And your old self of pride will struggle with what sometimes the Spirit is seeking to teach you. But Jesus is preparing heaven for those who know Him as Lord. I challenge you to follow Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Let's bow together for prayer and we're finished afterwards. Father, thank You. Thank You for these words. Thank You for the vision that Jesus gave to John. Thank You that we have these these kept for us through the years. Thank You that people who study writings of antiquity have told us how we can trust these things because we use the same evaluation points for other writings of antiquity. But thank You that Your Spirit comes to us and convicts us and calls us to Christ. And that when we respond, we not only have your Word that speaks to us that we can trust, we have your Spirit that speaks and guides us whom we can trust. Father, thank you. Thank you that heaven is our home. Thank you so much for seeking to help us understand the glorious, wondrous, new place. Our home where we belong. Thank you for that. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.